Today on the podcast, I chat with David Richmond, an entrepreneur, author, public speaker, athlete, and philanthropist. David completed a solo six-week, 5,000-mile cross-country bike ride from California to Florida to New York. The cycling adventure was a chance for him to visit the 15 people he'd interviewed for his most recent book, Cycle of Lives. The book chronicles a unique cross-section of humans who have been changed by cancer, either as patients, survivors, loved ones, or caregivers. I'm your host, Danette Adams, and I am beyond excited that you're here to join in on this uplifting conversation with David. It's such a pleasure to have David Richman um, on the podcast today. So thank you so much, David, for being here. You're welcome, Danette. I'm very excited to talk to you. Thank you. Well, I'd like to start the conversation talking about a project that is a very personal to you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the project, The Cycle of Lives, your most recent book. So I would mm-hmm. love to hear the genesis of that project and where it is now. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, the genesis of the project uh, in its shortest answer that I can possibly come up with is that my sister was um, diagnosed with cancer and uh, what would be a turn out to be quickly known as a terminal brain cancer. And um, uh, that was like one piece of turmoil that I was uh, subject to, obviously she was going through it. And then at the same time, I had a lot of turmoil in my business life and my personal life and things were kind of like um, everything thrown up in the air. And um, it gave me an opportunity to uh, figure out Um, how I was going to change my life and get rid of the chaos and kind of focus on what things were important to me. And the things that were important to me were the relationships that I had and forming deeper connections and um, making them more meaningful and authentic and getting rid of the bad ones and enhancing the good ones. And to that end, my sister and I talked about a lot of things with regard to her end of life journey you know, the regrets about her losing, uh, seeing her kids grow up, you know, her losing her husband, you know, and all the, uh, just the whole, you know, really trauma around all of that. And uh, after she passed, I uh, would do a endurance event each year, athletic event each year in her name to try to raise money for the cancer center that took care of her. And Danette, when I interacted with people, I found that they were really good about talking about the tasks around their cancer. Uh, You know, like, how do I get my next PET scan? What's going to happen with my kids while I'm getting chemo? How do I navigate taking time off of work? Excuse me. How do I sleep better? These kind of things. But when it came to the emotional side of it, people were just not equipped to talk. And um, they hadn't had the tools to process the emotional side, or if they had the tools to process the emotional side, they didn't have the tools to talk to people about it or allow people to talk to them. And that was a recurring theme virtually amongst every single person I that, that I ran into at a varying degree. And I decided why not um, write a book where I get to interview uh, a bunch of people that survivors, loved ones, caregivers, doctors, professionals, and talk to them about that emotional side so that the reader learning their story would go, oh, oh, maybe that's how I should talk to people. Maybe that's what people are going through. Uh, Give them a a few more tools with which to work to try to enhance their own personal relationships. So sorry for the long answer, but that's uh, that's the genesis. Yeah. yeah. How did you find 
15 people who uh, had the vocabulary, mm. the emotional vocabulary to have that conversation with you? Or were you having to do some pulling and teasing out of that kind of thing? A ton of pulling. Um, you know, uh, I set the expectation that we were going to have to go deep because if the stories weren't meaningful, if they weren't true, if I was trying to tell the reader what to think and feel rather than have the reader really identify with the person and really evoke authentic emotion, um, it wasn't going to work. And so I, I prefaced every conversation with, we're going to have to go places you might not be comfortable going uh, or that you haven't gone before because I want to make this a, a, a real project. Like we have to get to the essence of who you are and what you went through and how you went through what you went through. And clearly, Danette, people weren't able to do it, right? Some people were not, uh, understandably so. Um, uh, but I did uh, eventually end up with 15 that um, that I felt gave us a good range of experience, perspective, brought different facets to the uh, to the project, had a wide range of emotional responses and a wide range of of you know kind of severe traumas that they had gone through. Um, that shaped their cancer journey. And we were able to get very, very deep together. And so um, it it wasn't, I didn't find 15. I found a lot more, but we ended up with 15 that what I thought were, were really um, indicative of what I was trying to do. So at what level, if we want to turn the mirror around and face it at you, at what level did you have to have a certain vocabulary from your own um, experience with the mm -hmm. cancer trauma from your sister's death? Uh, so two-part answer to that uh, great question is one part of answer is that um, when talking to the participants, um, the way you, I think, begin, become uh, a good question asker is to be a good listener. And uh, when you're talking about things that are traumatic, like, for example, um, I talked to this one woman who went through cancer five different times over a 35-year period. Imagine that. Wow. No. Five different cancers over a 35-year period. And they weren't just little like, oh, I got a little skin cancer. Let's remove it. Even though that can be unbelievably traumatic. I'm, I'm not. Uh, but these were major cancer, breast cancer, thyroid cancer, you know, uh, you name it, uh, everything. Yeah. But guess what? That wasn't the trauma that affected her the most. That wasn't the five cancers. The trauma that affected her the most was a unbelievably emotional, physical, and, um, and psychological um, uh, relationship of enduring unbelievable amounts of abuse over a four-year period that like literally she couldn't leave the house. She couldn't have a friend. She couldn't ha uh, make a phone call. She she would get uh, sent to the hospital with, with the beatings. I mean, it was terrible, right? And so what I wanted to understand was how did you have the strength to get through all those cancers? But the, the, the real question was like, how did you continue to have the strength after getting away from that other opportunity, you know, that other, that other, um, uh, 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 abusive relationship where you had, I would think have used all the strength that you could possibly muster and then, you know, right off into the sunset and be done. And the next thing that would happen, I would think that you would just fall apart. Right. right. For her. Um, I wanted to show the reader that even if you go through the most horrible experience ever, right. 
that maybe that's just giving you the tools you need to handle the next thing. Um, and saying that is one thing, but showing it through the story. So to connect with them in, in, in a deep level, I had to really uh, be a good listener, ask real meaningful questions, and really try to understand the heart of their matter. The second quicker answer is in relation to my sister was until I got on my bike, which part of the book is I, I rode my bike across the country um, about 5,000 miles and visited most of the people I had been talking to. That's when I started. And this was several years after my sister passed. That's when I started to process my own emotional issues, which basically I think centered on the trauma uh, of of losing not just losing a sibling, but losing the only person that would know me when I was a kid. You know, the only person that knew what I had gone through, the only person that was in my life the whole time, you know? And so, right. um, you know, different than losing a spouse, different than losing a child or a friend or whatever, everyone's unique, you know, nothing's super special, but I hadn't dealt with that, um, that aspect of it until I started on the bike ride. I would love to go into that part about the cycling mm -hmm. um, and how that was part of the project and why it matters, why physical and athletic endurance things matter. Because as you know, I said in the intro that you were also involved in other athletic endeavors. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, th I think Danette, that um, everybody, not everybody, if you, if you go on a journey of, discovery or transformation, or you are trying to get in tune with yourself or in tune with others, I think that causes you to have to reach um, another level of where you can contemplate, where you can ponder the bigger questions about life and bigger questions about relationships and, and consciousness and being and all of that type of stuff. And I think that uh, everybody's lives are so busy that we often find we're years away from some traumatic event or years away from some relationship that we've been avoiding and all this time has gone by and we just haven't faced those issues. And um, for me, endurance athletics gives me a safe and contemplative space to kind of deal with those issues. So um, it kind of forces me to think. People go, oh, I would never run 20 hours. And I go, well, Running 20 hours is not really about the running 20 hours. It's really about the like contemplative state I get in, the being able to ponder heavy thoughts, the being able to let go and meditate for a long period of time, you know, just being free. It's not about the athletics as much as it's about the mental side of it. And I've solved a lot more problems um, uh, uh, running or cycling in the desert then I have juggling 10 balls at a time at work and home and friends and life and whatever. I don't solve problems doing that. I, I handle issues right that are right there that I'm juggling, but I don't solve the greater issues. And, and until you find a contemplative state, whether that's yoga or reading a book or going for long walks or uh, drinking your tea and, and being in a quiet space in the morning or whatever, just for me, it was endurance athletics and continues to be. And that's what I was going to say when I was listening to you speak that mm -hmm. it sounds like what I would say about yoga or meditation. Um, it's, it's a form of solitude and it's mm -hmm. getting away from distractions. So mm -hmm. you could just be with whatever comes up in your body, whether you're running or sitting or doing a yoga pose or cycling or whatever yeah. it's that solitude. And like you said, contemplative 
time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's not really to quiet the mind, it's to quiet the mind enough to uh, forcibly pay attention to the bigger issues that you I don't think you can you can tackle with a busy mind. <clears throat> you know, how do you wrap yes. your brain around hearing that a friend has died? And how do you wrap your brain around the fact that um, maybe your last conversation with them was too long ago? Or um, how do you how do you, you know, reconcile the fact that that you didn't get to say your proper goodbye? And how do you how do you apply that to your current relationships? And those kind of heavy thoughts that I think are 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 real and authentic and make us more centered and and deepen the relationships that we that we have with other people. Um, I think those big issues can only be tackled with a quiet mind. Do you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. um, when you're speaking to people who have experienced the trauma from cancer, I can only imagine uh, having a cancer in my immediate family. There's a lot of heaviness the weight of sort of sadness and grief and like you spoke about when your sister um, grieving the fact that she wouldn't be there for her children and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. When you were interviewing all these people, were there some lighter sides? Was there some joy, some, I dare I say joy, it was there just some lightness there to balance the weight? Yes. And that is such an important thing. I'm glad you brought it up because I just got a review from a, a good friend of mine on Amazon on, on the book. And it was so touching because he said that he kind of avoided reading the book because he's going through something pretty heavy on his own and he didn't want to be brought down. But as a friend, he said he was going to read it. And he said every single story was inspirational and hopeful. There was some inspirational, hopeful side to each story. So he craved to continue to read it for that purpose. And so I, I think that it is because um, it, it, even the most kind of tragic stories show that there is hope at the end, you know, and um, it's, it's awesome. Let me tell you one super quick story. So um, one person in the book, um, she gets kind of, she's kind of the black sheep of the family at 18. She goes off to college on her own because her family is, does not support her. So she goes off on her own across the country. Um, she uh, gets cancer and immediately her roommate, uh, abandons her on her way to the hospital. Her fiance calls her and says, yeah, I, this is not my life. I can't handle it. You're on your own. She gets abandoned, right? She goes to a support group of her particular type of cancer Everybody but her dies eventually. Every single person in the support group dies but her. Okay. She cancer comes back again. Okay. That she goes through a, a chemotherapy, a bone marrow transplant, a second one. And all of a sudden, um, when it's her boyfriend at the time now, chance uh, chance to take care of her for a week, he calls her up and says, I'm not as strong as you. I can't do this. You're on your own. Her entire life, she's been abandoned or left alone to solve things on her own. And I was so worried about how how rough and, and, and um, oh man, there's, I don't even know the word to put around how you could feel for somebody having to be abandoned like that. And near the end of our talks, I said to her, I go, how in the world do you deal with that? Like, how do you not look at yourself as a, as a, like a pathetic, you know, tragic figure? And she said, what are you talking about? She goes, every day I get up thinking there's something there that's going to give me the answer to all the things I'm going through. Every day I wake up happy that I'm maybe going to find the answer. And I'm like, what? 
like how is that possible and so i think to myself it's trite to think oh you go through everything all you got to do is get up and hope it'll get better the next day but when you read her story and you hear that then it means something and to me that's hopeful because i don't want you to tell me oh just figure out a way to get up out of bed but when i hear her story and i hear her looking forward to getting up out of bed every day i go whoa that makes sense yeah how poignant like that is just yeah. so so touching yeah. yeah when when you were um interviewing all of these people did you find there were certain threads that went through the whole thing maybe two or three things that just kept coming up as themes throughout mm. your your interviews I, I did the first thing which which i continue to be marveled at is uh no matter how insane and ridiculous and unimaginable their lives were or the facet of their life that we were exploring was no matter how intriguing and unbelievable and breathtaking it was every single one of them was like eh, my story's not that interesting nobody's going to want to know about it right <laughs> and it uh it reminded me that we're all just living our lives like we don't think anything special but uh, if you take a minute and you and you and you really try to connect with somebody about these kind of major points in their life, people are kind of fascinating. So I thought uh, that was a very common theme. That was number one. Number two, every single one of them in multiple ways that they um, identified with the idea of, I don't know how to process the emotional side. I haven't applied my processing of the emotional side to be able to talk to people. Um, I haven't provided a safe space for people to talk to me, or I don't know how to let them know it's safe for them to talk to me. Um, that was another issue. I think um, some of the lesser issues that were uh, a, a common were isolation, um, probably because of what I just said. Uh, it was easy for people to back out of talking to them because they didn't know what to say. So I think sometimes it's easier to avoid saying the wrong thing. So you just don't talk to the person. And I think that was a, um, a, a thing. And then I think another idea that was common was that people when they were going through trauma, didn't want to burden others with the heaviness of it. And so they self isolated a little bit. And um, all of them, most of them, almost all of them agreed that if they would have um, a, a not self isolated, they would have gotten um, what uh, they needed out of the relationships with their friends a little bit. In other words, um, yes, there were people that that offered help and hoped you said no, but there were times when you wanted to ask for help, but were afraid to. And so those were some common themes. So I want to know what you personally have learned about resilience um, asking for support and resources in your mm -hmm. own life based on your whole life journey plus this amazing project. Well, well thanks. And I, I guess the, um, the biggest things that I've, I've learned a lot right from, from, from this thing. And it's, and it's been, um, you know, I started the project many years ago, right? Um, the formation of it. And then the actual interviewing started, you know, five, six years ago. And the book just came out. So, you know, we're talking a long period of time. Um, and some of the bigger things that I learned um, have really permeated in my life, right? Uh, one of those is um, that you have to really believe that you have no idea what people have gone through. You just don't know. And 
when somebody says to you, no, nah, I don't really need your help. Maybe they don't really need your help because anytime that they've asked for help when they've needed it, they've been shut down and um, they're afraid to ever ask for help again, right? So I, I've learned that um, if people, um, if you give people a safe space to know that you care or want to care or want to learn how to care, right, for them, based on what they need, if you give them a safe space and you are able to develop a, an authentic interaction, that maybe you can get deeper and, and more meaningful, you know, connection with that person. So I've learned that you, you never know. Um, I've also learned that uh, I've been a guy who always wants to be at the head of it. I want to charge. I want to, I, I, I'm the guy in charge, right? I'm the guy that's taking care of business. I'm whatever. And oftentimes I've done that um, by shutting people down that have offered to give me help because I used to believe that uh, if I accepted help from people on things that I was capable of doing, that that was proving to somebody, myself, them, whomever was watching or whatever, that I wasn't capable enough. I needed their help. And now I realize when people want to help, sometimes they really want to help. Like it's not because you need it, because it's what they need. They need to the help. They want to be a part of it. And I didn't let them, I didn't let people be a part of things before because I thought that showed weakness on my part. And so I've learned that uh, accepting help is sometimes the best thing you can do for the person offering it is accepting in the help. Um, so that, those are just a couple, but I've learned, I, I sure have learned a lot. Yeah. I think that's, that's a wonderful way to look at things is that asking for help is actually a gift to the mm -hmm. person who is offering to support you. It is letting them help you as a gift for them as well as it would be a support for you. So that's yeah, very insightful. It is what's scary about it is that if they say no and you're asking for help, it, it's it's such a painful thing. But I think it's just that insecurity that they might say no or that that might make you feel weak or whatever. And so I think that you, again, with the meaningful relationships that you want to have or can have with people or do have with people, if you're a good listener, if you're a good a question asker if you're being grounded and authentic then it's okay to say listen um, I'm so glad that you asked me for help and and even though I can't help you right now the next time I'm going to or I'm so glad that you asked me for help because I wouldn't have offered to give you help because I didn't want to make you self-conscious about it or whatever and that then now breaks down this barrier where uh, you can now uh, deal with the emotional things on a deeper level and I, I think it's it's such a great it's such a great thing to learn and, and such a hard thing to do. I, I love that theme that feels like going through your life is you've mm -hmm. said you've used the words many times, authentic and meaningful connections mm -hmm. and relationships. And that just makes all the difference in going through the ups and downs and challenges. And if you're in a meaningful relationship and somebody is going through the challenge, they're not ready to ask for help from you. It's mm -hmm. still the relationship still there when they are ready. So I think that's very very insightful too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I would love to know too, uh, something about this book specifically, um, that the profits from the book. Mm. Tell me a little bit about what the book is, it was being used for. Sure. So I had two goals when I uh, embarked on the project. One is the bigger goal, which is to better equip people to um, understand what others are going through so that we can form more meaningful connections, right? So that's a big deal. The smaller deal is to hopefully raise some money. So I asked um, 
the 15 uh, participants of the book or their surviving family members, um, which um, uh, which uh, cancer-focused or other uh, charity they wanted to support or had an affinity for. And so um, I promised all of them that I would give 100% of the net proceeds from the book. So anything that would come to us um, uh, is, is in a nonprofit and we distribute the funds to the 15 uh, organizations that were chosen by the participants. So there are various cancer centers, children's hospitals, um, you know, those type of, of places, um, uh, advocacy organizations, wellness organizations. And um, there's a list of them in the book. There's a list of them on the website, the Cycle of Lives uh, website. And, you know, it's not going to be a lot of money, right? There's not a lot of money in books. Um, but whatever it is, it's it, it's a good thing, right? So the more books we sell, the more money we raise for great organizations. Right. And on that note, I'm going to encourage listeners to check all the links that are going to be in the show notes um, for where they can get the book. And I'm going to encourage you to go to your also your local booksellers um, if you want to support them, maybe instead of occasionally not supporting Amazon. <laughs> your, my independent uh, bookstore is about three weeks wait for the book for me, but I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it when it comes in. And I encourage everybody just to check out all of David's links so that they can support in any way that they can. And I must say, David, I, I really, this has been an especially uh, moving conversation for me. Like I said, there's been lots and lots of cancer in my family, and we've had to come up with our own emotional vocabulary and lean on our meaningful relationships. So this has just been so um, wonderful, and I can't wait for my family to hear this, as well as all the other listeners who tune in. So well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. And I, th I think the common um, theme um, that, that you just um, uh, declared about your own life is that we all have gone through trauma. Most of us have some first or second degree connection to uh, somebody or several people going through cancer, right? But traumas of all kind. And um, you know, gosh, how important is it that you either were there for your family or that you now um, have um, uh, the freedom, the tools, the education, the experience to now maybe um, take it to another level with them. And um, um, by keeping it bottled up inside or hiding it from the people that care about you, you know, what, uh, you know, by, by opening it up, maybe you're changing uh, one listener's openness to talk to their family about it or to share that they might have gone through the same thing. And so I applaud you for what you're doing and for being authentic and open about it. Um, and you know what, we're all just, we're all just trying to help everybody. So, you know, yeah. you, you gotta be honest about, about things to help people. Right. Yeah. And your encouragement earlier that we don't know what other people are going through. And so keeping those connections open because you may have a family member who's going through something trauma, you know, whether it's cancer related or not, and they might not feel free to reach out, but just you don't know what they're going through. So maybe keep that connection open so that mm -hmm. you can support each other. So I'm so, um, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. And I just feel so encouraged. And I absolutely know that the listeners are going to be encouraged as well. Well, thank you, Danette. Let's stay in touch and uh, really appreciate yes. what you're doing. And thanks for having me on. Okay. Thank you. Stay well. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>